Today we start a brand new series I'm so excited about. We've entitled it Masterclass. And I'm not sure if that phrase is familiar to you or not, but let me kind of clue you in a little bit. A masterclass is an opportunity given to students of a particular discipline that they have an opportunity to meet with an expert in that same discipline. Whether it's music or science or paintings or drama or on any other occasion where skills are wanting to be developed, they have an opportunity to sit in class with the master of that discipline. If people have a high-end credit card, sometimes you'll actually get an offer to participate in a master class in person. That you can have an opportunity to take a cooking lesson with Gordon Ramsay or do home and gardening skills with a Martha Stewart. You could take value-driven leadership by Coach K or Aaron Franklin can tell you how to master Texas barbecue. Along the line, there will be those. I don't know if there's anybody in the house today that has some of those high-end credit cards where you're going to get those invitations. I don't. I've only heard about them. But if you and I don't, then you can go online and you can actually sign up at masterclass.com and you can search through hundreds of topics and learn virtually from the masters of the topic of your interest. And so over the next couple of weeks, I'm excited because I'm going to share with you and some of my friends as well over this month of March, we are going to share with you about the passion that rules our heart and life, areas that we hope will challenge us to grow and explore more ways to walk this Christian journey. And listen, for those of you that that have those credit cards or if you're going to go online, it would probably cost you hundreds if not thousands of dollars to be able to take those master classes and sit with these wonderful experts and masters in all of those uh, disciplines, but it's only going to require your normal giving to real life. How many, is that a deal or what, right? It only costs you your tithe, your offering. You're going to get a master class over the next four weeks. You can smile or laugh a little bit, all right? Don't get all serious on me. What a deal, right, that we're going to be able to participate in. You know, we've talked about this campaign of, of live to give, that, that not only are we in this idea of, of, of encompassing what we want to do here, but we want to bless others as God is blessing us. And I want to encourage you that every week that, that we put the house of God first, that we are challenged, that not only as God meets our need, that we don't want to just keep it here, but we want to continue to reach out and bless those who are going to be a part of what God is doing in our community and even around the world. And so I want you, again, in this way to recognize that, that you are going to be instructed over these next couple of weeks, that, that we're going to present to you the, the passion of our hearts and the power of the gospel is something for you to invest and to grow and to learn and to develop in your own life, that it will help to benefit you and ultimately that it will benefit the kingdom of heaven as well. You know, over the last couple of months in, in planning for this series, I sometimes often think of myself that I feel that so many areas of my life that I'm the jack of all trades but the master of none. Is there anybody else that sometimes feels that way in your life? You know, there's, there's these truths that, that, that we kind of participate in, yet when we find somebody who is a true master or an artist in a particular 
topic or, or area of gifting. Sometimes it just kind of puts us in awe or some of the things that they're capable of doing. I, I love to kind of tinker and draw a little bit, but at best, like a stick man is about as good as I can come up with. How many are kind of with me today, right? And yet I'm oft, oftentimes kind of in awe and inspired by people that are phenomenal artists and how they can transform a a blank page into something that becomes so lifelike and, and so wonderful. But I want you to know today that there is one passion that still rules my heart today. And I think that for me, and in an expression today, it is in helping people to have a real relationship with Jesus and then ultimately what a discipled life looks like. I know that in my outside life, there might be not many things that I would consider myself a master or an expert, but one thing that I know that I am passionate about is to help you and and in my life every day know that no matter what is going on around us in this life, that there is still hope in Jesus and more than us just connecting with him, but allowing him truly to be the Lord and the leader of our life. I think that as a pastor, it's much like a shepherd. In fact, our ladies were here over the last couple of days in the IF conference, and it began by talking through the story of Psalms 23 about what it truly helps us to understand that God is our shepherd. And I recognize that as a shepherd, as a pastor, it is truly a multifaceted calling. And maybe that's where I get kind of the jack of all trades things, that, that there's always something different and unique that happens when you're leading a congregation of people. In fact, to be quite honest with you, I can't believe how much I get done every week by only getting to work one day out of the week, right? What an opportunity, what a deal to get all of this done, and I only have to work one day out of it to make it happen. You see, being an under-shepherd of Christ, I want to dedicate my life to really what mattered to Jesus. Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life to the full. In fact, the reason why we named the church Real Life Assembly was based out of this verse. Our very first logos and designs had the word real life being uh, barely filled on the R as it began to fill up the word life. And by the time you got to the last E, the last E was completely filled. And it was based off of this verse that almost 15 years ago that we had this heart and this vision and this passion to let people know that we were going to do church, we were going to do life in a real way. Not pretentious, not, not uh, uh, you know, fake, but that we were just going to do it real. And that ultimately the plan was that your life could be filled with Jesus. And that you could know that he had a plan and a purpose for your life. Luke chapter 4 records this. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, speaking of Jesus. As it was his custom, and he stood up to read... And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. 
And he began to tell them that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, to realize that, that why we don't come just to kind of check a box off on Sunday morning, why the desire is is for it to be real when, when we are here is because we recognize that Christ had a purpose in his coming, that he self fulfilled the calling and the prophetic word that today this prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled in your hearing. This is why I have come to set captives free. Paul said to us in the later writings in the New Testament, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves our full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. If there is a master class to help us to understand what a life in Christ is all about, what you'll find is Paul, throughout the writings of the New Testament, is the master teacher. And his magnum opus is this book of Romans in which he declares these words. And for you and I, the knowledge and the hope that we can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How we know that there can be a foundation of faith for our life built solely, wholly on the work of what Jesus Christ has done for every one of us. I want to unpack the truth and the teachings of this book of Romans in a very condensed way for us. I want to give you today a master class in salvation this morning. It is the hope for every one of us to know that when we close out this life, that the hope of Heaven is available and has been worked through for every one of us based on the work that Christ has done for us. You see, the Roman church that Paul is addressing throughout this book at this time was comprised mostly of house churches rather than a centralized church like we meet in today. That because of persecution, because of a lot of factors in Rome at that time, that there were groups of people that were meeting in homes all over the city. And the troop group was made up primarily of Jews, but there was an ever-growing Gentile population that was hearing about what was happening in these home churches. And so Paul spends the opening chapters making the case that he would later unpack for us throughout the book of Romans of this. That there is no hope. I want you to hear this with me this morning. If you're taking notes or maybe you're uh, jump on our, our app this morning and get to our, our notes page, you'll follow along with me today. There is no hope of a heavenly eternity for anyone without accepting Christ's sacrificial work on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. If you want to know what is it all about, this is what it's all about. If you want to know what I'm all about, if you want to know what real life is all about, if you want to know what the church of Jesus Christ is all about, is helping us fully understand, unless we accept Christ into our life, unless he becomes the savior of our life and ultimately the leader of our life, hear me today, there is no hope of heaven. If you believe it, say amen with me today. You see, then the work of that is then following him and allowing him to be the leader 
of our lives. Now, as Paul is introducing this teaching to those in Rome, the Jews that were there were struggling with this because they had lived a life where they felt that based on who they were, that they were God's chosen people, about what was given to them, the law above any other people group in the world at that time, that somehow that they had a, a better advantage, that they were different than everyone else, that the prophets and their teaching were on their side. And the only process they knew was the weekly or the yearly sacrifices in which they would bring to the temple in the idea that this is how their sins would be forgiven and that this would whether be a weekly process or again wait in hope for the day of atonement when the high priest would offer the sacrifice on behalf of all of the people. But there were Gentiles, non-Jews that were coming into the church and, and understanding what following Christ would mean to them, but they struggled as well because most of their background, they were just simply seeking wisdom and knowledge, that they were reasoning their existence, not only about this life, but of the life to come. And many of them had put their hope in mystical, false gods that would rule the heavenlies. And as long as they kept the gods, a plural, happy, then that would provide a good life for them, not only in this earthly life, but then in the life to come. And so Paul brings this charge to this wrong set of motives that existed both with the Jews and with the Gentiles, we read it in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. For we have already made this charge, that the Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. For as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. You see, you have got to know that this morning. In the idea and the whole plan of salvation, what Paul is telling the Jews, listen, it's not because you were chosen. It's not because you were given the law. It's not because the prophets are on your side that none of those things are going to do the work to provide you with salvation. Those are all flashlights. Those are all ways of indicators of, of where we are in this sinful world. But there is nothing in your background that will allow you to be able to cross over into heaven without understanding the presence for them of the Messiah. For those that were non-Jews to recognize of what took place on Calvary, maybe just a number of years ago for those that were in the church, that without recognizing the work of not many gods, but the one true God, somebody say yes today, that only without his sacrifice would there only ever be the hope of eternity for us. You see, in our sinfulness, we were at odds with the holiness of God. Our sinfulness is what keeps backing up into God's the wrath of God against us. Now hear me today, church. It's not because God is angry. It's because God is holy. You see, how this whole thing unpacks for you and I is that we know that although God is a God of love, God is a God of justice as well. And because sin has entered into every one of us through the disobedience of Adam and Eve from the very beginning, that same scarlet thread runs through every one of us, that we have been stained. In fact, David said to us in the Psalms that I have been born into sin. This is what has separated us from God. 
And God is not an angry God at all trying to cast people into hell. It's just that he is a holy God. And our sinfulness, as it backs up into his holiness, the two just can never exist. Maybe this illustration will help you a little bit. I remember when I was in probably junior high, going to public school and riding the bus to school, At the beginning of every school year, I don't know if it's a big deal anymore, but back in my day, like your parents would take you school shopping, right, in the the days or the weeks ahead of of, uh, going to school. And usually every year at the start of, of, of school, I would get new sneakers. And often the time, I mean, I would keep them in my bedroom until that first day of school because I was going to be jamming on my way on the first day of school. How many know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, whatever clothes your parents get you, I mean, you're wearing the best combo on that first day. You are going to look sharp and amazing. You're going to have those brand new sneakers on. And I mean, you are going to show up at the bus stop and everybody's just going to be like, ah, when they see this whole outfit coming at them, right? And I remember having these gleaming white sneakers, right? Probably the newest, latest Nikes or whatever they were in the day and just kind of, you know, making my walk to the bus stop. And little did I know that very first time that I had some of my so-called friends that were also waiting for this moment to happen, And I would show up at the bus stop and just kind of be in my own world when one of my friends uh, with his dirty, nasty shoes, stepping in mud puddles or whatever, would just kind of sneak up behind me and step that muddy shoe all over the front of my... I can't believe, and I would have to go to school. I was already at the bus stop. The bus is on its way. I would have to spend all day looking at that nasty, dirty footprint on my brand new shoes. It was never going to come off. Man, I was just so mad and so angry, right? Listen, I got wiser in eighth grade and ninth grade, right? Those years on the first day of school, I I went to the bus stop like this, right? Everybody stay away from me. I'll drop you right where you stand. You know, you touch these shoes. Like we learn, right? You see, I loved my friends and my buddies, but I wanted them to stay away from me because my shoes were clean. And in the same way, right, God loves us. But it's his holiness when we are lost in sinfulness that the two cannot exist. So it's not in the sense that God is pushing us away. It's just in the understanding that our sinfulness butts into the idea of his holiness and we can only ever go so far. But because we are loved by God, he did not want to stay separate from us. And so he provided a savior to justify us. You see, what I was unable to do that entire day at school was to wash off that sneaker and make it absolutely perfect again. That stain and maybe some of those years would last the entire life of that shoe. How many know what I'm talking about? There are stains that got in that as much as I tried to scrub and as much as I tried to clean them, they would never become perfect Again, And I want you to learn the mode of salvation because this is what will, revelate, will revolutionize our lives this morning. You see, God understood the stain of sin in our life, and so he provided a Savior to justify me. 
in God sending Jesus, who was holy and yet fully God, he not only can forgive us, but he pronounces an acquittal of the sin in our life. You see, I want you to stay with me because this example, I think, will help you to fully understand what the power of salvation is all about. You see, an acquittal is more than just being found not guilty. It becomes just as if I had never sinned or it never had happened. You see, when Christ comes into our life and forgives us of this sin, of, of, of being separated from God, and he becomes the mediator between ourselves and God, God justifies us through the work of Christ, and he pronounces over our lives that we are acquitted of the accusation of sin against our life. It's not just a matter of us not being not guilty. It's a matter that when God looks at us, it's as if we had never sinned at all. You see, when Christ comes into our life, it's like when my friend stepped on those white sneakers and I recognized, man, I am never going to get that stain off. Listen, when God forgives us, he doesn't just wipe the stain off. He creates our heart like that sneaker as if it had never happened in the first place. Somebody say yes. You see, when we ask Christ to come into our life, he cleans our heart. We are acquitted of that sin against him. And our life isn't just going through the world with this remembrance or this reminder of sin, this dirt on the sneaker. No, God wipes away our sin. And it's like the first day when we open the box and we put that shoe on for the very first time. God says, that's how I see your life. Free, acquitted, justified by the power of what Christ has done in your life. Now listen, before we get too ahead of ourselves this morning, let's be reminded that a crime was committed, that humanity disobeyed and sinned against God. And we understand justice, and that is that someone has to pay for the crime, no matter what happens in our judicial system, when there is a crime that has been committed we all have a hope and a desire in our heart that justice would be served. And so although there was an iniquity that was done by man against God, that there would have to be remediation. There would have to be someone that could pay the price for the crime that was committed. You see, it was justification of what Christ has done over and through our lives that bring you and I to righteousness to rightness with God. Look with me further in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. For a righteousness, hear me, he was talking again, remember the audience, many of them were Jewish. A righteousness apart from the law. You see, the Jews had this feeling like who they were. They were God's chosen people. They had the law. They had all of these mechanical pieces that they put their faith into that somehow that would be what it was needed for them to be able to go to heaven. But Paul presents something new to them. And again, an understanding for you and I today that it's not on anything else other than through the work of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf that allows us to know that we are completely justified and righteous in the sight of God. A righteousness apart from the law. 
in light of the, of the prophets. Listen, the Jews were definitely sitting up and taking notice as they were reading this letter from Paul. I guarantee it. Apart from the law, in light of the prophets, in light of all of that, something else has been made available, listen, through faith in Jesus Christ by everyone who believes. You see, we get this holiness, this righteousness, this justification of what Christ made available to us simply by us understanding the truth and believing that our only way is through him, through Christ, through him and him alone. Through faith in the finished work of Christ. Now because this is a master class this morning, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. You're going to have to hang on, buckle in this morning. As we continue through Romans chapter 3 verse 24, you see there are at least three sides to this understanding of salvation that I want to share with you briefly this morning. The Bible says, and all are justified freely. What is justified? Just as if I had never sinned, right? No stain, no scuff, no mark, that it's brand new. We are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. I want to give you three understandings when we think about salvation that are at work so you and I can have peace and that we can have confidence not only in this life but for the life to come. Paul explains these three parts of salvation. First of all, there is redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, redemption was the language of the marketplace. It's back in that day, they didn't go to supermarkets, but they went to open-air markets where all kinds of things were bartered or traded or paid for, for every aspect of their life. Not just food, but it was the grocery store, it was the hardware store, it was the cleaning store, it was the dry cleaner, it was everything at the market. And so Paul used that through the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith when we accept him into our lives, that we receive Redemption, that meaning that we have become rescued, delivered, paid for. This is something that the audience in Rome would have fully understood. In fact, Mark 10 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in this idea of the marketplace, that, that there was a price that would have to be paid for our salvation. And the only acceptable payment from God is the death of his son, the holiness of Christ paying the price for you and I. So when we have communion, we recognize that we have been redeemed, that God paid the price for my sinfulness. If you have the King James Version, it reads this way in the next verse in 20. Verse 25, again, we don't often talk about this in church. It's a little deeper. That's why you're at master class this morning. Everybody say, yeah, right? Verse 25 says this, whom God hath set forth then for us be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that now are in our past. So, You've probably never heard of propitiation. Why did Paul use that word? Again, to help us to understand 
salvation. Well, again, it was a word that would have been very familiar to his audience in Rome, especially to the Jews, because it was connected to the the Jewish understanding of the sacrificial system. You see, they remembered all the way back to where the the temple, to the tabernacle in the Old Testament and with Moses, that there would be a day of atonement that would come where the high priest would go into the holy of holies to where the ark of the covenant would be placed. And not just the ark of the covenant, but at the very center it was known as the mercy seat. And the priest would take the blood of the precious lamb the spotless lamb, and he wouldn't just randomly sprinkle the blood, but that he would focus the attention to the mercy seat. That was the focal point for the redemption of sin. And so what it meant was a transference, that the sin of the people on that day of atonement, that all of their sins would be focused through the work of that single high priest, into the inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies, only then when the blood would be applied to the mercy seat. Are you with me this morning? It continued to be a focal point. And so Paul understood his audience, and he wanted them to understand that there in the same way was a transference. The focal point was no longer the mercy seat now in the tabernacle of the high priest going in, but it was the high priest Jesus Christ himself who once and all became the focal point of God's wrath. And when that blood was shed, that we recognize today that we would be forever redeemed. The atoning sacrifice would be acceptable to God and we would be saved and we would be free. You see, Paul was helping the church to understand that Christ became my propitiation. He stood in my place. He took my sin to the cross. Jesus did not become sinful. He became sin for me. He became my sin bearer. Everybody with me? And when he was nailed to the cross, the propitiation of Christ delivered my sin as a forgiveness to God. You see, there had to be a focal point for God's wrath because of his holiness. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, you'll know that many times that after the ceremony of the high priest going to the altar or going to the Holy of Holies, he would come out and he would take his blood-soaked hands and he would place it upon the head of a goat. And then they would move that goat out into the wilderness. You and I still say the phrase today, a scapegoat. It was this point of God that the people were given a visual that the blood of that perfect lamb was now transferred. You got me? To that goat. And then the goat was removed. And it was Jesus who became that escape for you and I. The blood transference of our sin was placed on Christ so that our sin could be forever removed. But the picture of salvation has one more piece, and that is justification. You see, they would have understood that as a legal term used in court. It meant to pronounce or to accept or to treat those who were guilty to be no longer liable of the accusation placed against them. And in the same way, They were entitled then to all the privileges 
the same as those who had kept the law perfectly. Again, this idea of acquittal. That when Christ comes into our life, he doesn't just mask our sin, he takes our sin away. We no longer have to tell people, yeah, uh, fortunately for me, I, I was pronounced not guilty. No, from then on, that our words are, yeah, no, I'm perfect, as if it was never there, as it never happened. Not only have I been saved, but God took my sin and completely removed it. The psalmist again says, he took my sin and put it where? As far as the east is from the west. So you say, Pastor, what are the benefits of the work of salvation in life? Well, for this, we go from chapter 3 to chapter 5 in the book of Romans, and the very first verse says this. Therefore, since we have been justified, what does that mean again? Just as if I had never had sin. And it came how? It comes through faith. It doesn't come by the law it doesn't come by way of the prophets. It's simply you and I believing in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And if I believe that in faith, it says we have what? We now have peace with God. You see, that's why no longer are we afraid of God. No longer do we consider a God an angry God. No, we recognize that God did for us what we had no power to do for us. And no longer is there any fear to approach him. But now we are asked to come into the presence of God simply because of his great love that Jesus exercised on our behalf. We are justified. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom now we have, say it with me if you see it on the screen, we have gained what? Access. How? By faith into the grace by which now we stand. You see, we don't have to work at it. God says it's a free gift. All we have to do is believe and receive. Christ's sacrifice trumps your sinfulness. Can I say that one more time? Christ's sacrifice trumps your sinfulness. In verse number 10 it says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You see, God's work through Jesus Christ wants to make it complete, total. To never fear, to never doubt that today when I ask Christ to come into my life that I become a child of God. God's universal remedy is enacted simply by faith. God did that so that no one could boast. So no one could feel they earned it. You see, that was the challenge of the Jew Jewish audience at that time. They were all about earning their righteousness, to talk about who their family was, about, about what they uh, did by way of the law, or how many verses that, that they memorized. And Paul, again, is kind of turning them on their head to recognize, listen, not that that's a bad thing to do, but none of that will pay the sin price on your head. It's only believing in what Christ has done for you. It is the complete work of God that he offers, listen, to everyone absolutely free. So the whole theme of the book of Romans is simply this. The justified shall live by faith. God's freedom, God's wholeness, God's salvation 
comes to each and every one of us, every one of us, simply by faith. We don't earn it. We don't somehow have to manipulate it. We don't have to work for it. All we have to do is believe in Jesus and receive it. But let me finish with this this morning. You see, the purpose of a master class and what you'll hear over these next couple of weeks is not just knowledge. It might be a little more than you're accustomed to hear maybe on a Sunday morning. You say, Pastor, this is like a Bible class, or this is, this is some deeper stuff that we don't often talk about in a bigger setting. But the purpose of a master class is not just knowledge. Hear me today, friends. It's an inspiration to replicate the master. You see, if I was able to take a master class in three-point shooting with Steph Curry... I would then start shooting three-pointers every day, right? I wouldn't take a master class with Steph Curry on three-pointers and then never attempt to shoot a three-pointer. And so the whole idea today of salvation is not just to teach you the, the deeper truths of salvation, but that as you know it, that you replicate the story of what Christ has done for you, and that if you have Christ, asked Christ into your life, then you are living in his salvation, and you are taking the gospel to people who need to know that everyone through faith has the opportunity to become a child of God's. And I also want to tell those of you in the house and those of you that are watching online, if you have not asked Jesus to come into your life, hear me today, there is no other way. I've sat and listened to churches to tell you that your baptism will get you to heaven. I'm sorry, but that's not the Bible at all. They will tell you that your church membership or being on the church roll is what you need to get to heaven. And none of that. Just like the law, just like the prophets, like everything that Paul told these Jewish people. Listen, not that those aren't bad things, but none of those things are going to get you to heaven. The only way. Jesus said, I am the only door. I am the only way to heaven. Listen, there are a lot of times I mentioned to you at funerals that we want to make sure is that person in heaven and because they did good things, because they served the community, because they went to church or because their parents baptized them when they were a baby or whatever those things are, as, as good as they can be, I want to tell you today that none of that was good enough to get any of us to heaven. That's the scriptures. It's only through Christ. And it's only through you and I accepting by faith, realizing that I can't do it, but it has already been done for me. All I have to do is receive. The truth is, is then that we have to put our choice into practice. I'm going to ask Joss and the band to come and help me. Just stay with me. I promise just one more minute. You see, hear me today, church, is that heaven is not guaranteed by knowing about Jesus. Or being baptized or becoming a church member. It is only guaranteed by you and I putting our faith in Christ, who did for you and I what we are incapable of doing on our own. Incapable of what the church is able to do. I can't save you, the church can't save you. Real life can't save you. Baptism can't save you. 
Going to life group can't save you. Listen, those are all good things. But if we haven't asked Christ to come in to be the Savior of our life, can I simply tell you, you're going to be a good person going to hell. Because there is no other name but the name of Jesus. There is no other door into a heavenly home than by Jesus. And it's by faith that it happens in our life. Let me just give you one last thing before I close. Because Christ has done it all. Let me tell you in the house and online today that no one is ever too bad to have their sin forgiven. No one is too far gone to have their sins forgiven. You see, when people say that to me, what they are saying is is that your sin somehow is for you. And I want you to hear me today, none of that is true. See, no matter what has been in our life, the power of the cross, the power of Christ's sacrifice is greater than our sin. I have people tell me, Pastor, I I hear you, but I'm just too bad. I just have too much wrong. You see, we are demoting the power and the work of heaven over your life. And when you read through the book of Romans, you will hear over and over and over again, for everyone, for all who believe. Listen, if you are in this room today or if you're watching online and maybe you're doubting, you're struggling, I don't know if there's enough for me, Pastor. Can I tell you this morning, there is more than enough for you today. I know we've been here a little longer than what we sometimes put on a clock. I'm going to ask you just to spend one more minute with me because how I would like to finish today is that if you are not sure about your salvation this morning, I want to help you with that. I'm going to hang around the front for a little while and maybe it's for the very first time or maybe you've just been through some things and you just need to be reassured this morning that together that we can pray that prayer of faith before you leave. But I want the the worship team, just to sing a part of a song that just gives all of us a moment. Maybe for some of you, you don't need to come forward, but you do need to make sure where your walk with Christ is this morning. And so just as we worship for just a moment, I want to give us just a moment for you to have some time with Jesus. We spent a lot of that in communion, and it was wonderful. But in the light, is my life right with Christ? A lot of people question me when they say, Pastor, how are you going to go into this funeral? People are wondering what happened and ultimately what happens to me. Listen, I don't put people in heaven and I can't put people in hell. But I do have to present a truth that there is only one way to go to heaven. And what I've offered to you today in this master class that it's only through Christ, through His righteousness which becomes mine I am justified through his propitiation he became the sin my sin bearer 
And today I am justified. Today now I can stand and I can say, Abba, Father. I can say, wonderful Father. Because I am your child. I am not an adopted child that is not a real child. That, yeah, I'm a child, but I'll always be known as an adopted child. No. No, we are all adopted into God's family, right? But we carry the full weight of being a full child of God. His resources, His wonder, His salvation, His mercy, His healing, His love is ours from the very beginning. Why don't you bow your heads for just a moment and just be assured today in your heart.